Our Father in heaven, we know that we are living in times that are certainly not ordinary. And yet, so many of us are sleeping. I pray, Lord, that we would wake up to the times that we are living in, that we would heed the message that you've given us in Scripture. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that you would give me a message that would be from on high, that it would be what you would have that would be said to this congregation this morning. So I thank you for this sacred opportunity to share the word from the pulpit. And I just pray that you will speak through me in a special way. And may you receive all the glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I truly do believe that we are not living in ordinary times. I truly believe that we are living at a time where now more than ever, we need to have a living connection with Jesus. Now is not the time to be giving God half-hearted service. Now is not the time to be thinking that Jesus is not going to come for another thousand years. Now is not the time to be living the way Lot and his wife were living in Sodom. Now is the time for God's people to be mindful of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And now is the time for God's people to say in their hearts, we need to rise up by the grace of God and finish the work that God has given us to do. And the message for this morning is based on the words of Jesus as he describes the condition of his people just before he comes back. And in one verse, in three words, which is the title for our message this morning, Jesus gives warning to all who would be living just before he comes back. And he says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. And I want to read the verses that precede this to set the stage for why Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Now, obviously, if Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife, we know the story of Lot's wife, how she turned back and looked toward Sodom, and she became a pillar of salt. And that story is so important that Jesus wants us to remember it as we think about his near coming. And when I read in my Bible here, Luke 17, 26 to 32, this whole section are letters in red, which means Jesus is saying these words himself as he describes what it will be like before he comes back. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed." 
In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Now, Jesus describes a period of earth's history in two different times to describe what it will be like before he comes back. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot. Now, when we think about the days of Noah, and we think about the days of Lot, it's interesting what Jesus says about those days, and we're going to look at that a little bit later, but it's also interesting to go back and see what Scripture says about the days of Noah and about the days of Lot. And I want to go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 3. And we read, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for, he, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And this is the prediction that God gives to Noah that there will be 120 years before the flood. And then it describes the giants in the land in verse 4. And in verse 5 it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. As it was in the days of Noah, do you think it is now? That the thoughts of men are only evil continually. Now I want to challenge you personally, and this is something that I challenge myself with. You know, you are not who you portray yourself to be. You are who you are in your thoughts what you're thinking when nobody can tell. Yet God can discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. But you can come to church and you can put on a good front and you can make it appear as if you have it all together, that you're a good Seventh-day Adventist, that you love the Lord, and yet behind that thick skull of yours, you're having thoughts that are only evil continually. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Where are your thoughts? Where are your affections? Are your thoughts and affections with God? Are you communing with Him throughout the day? Are you following the promptings of the Spirit? Or are your thoughts on the junk and the filth of the world around us? Because as it was in the days of Noah, the thoughts of men, were only evil continually. And verse 6 says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Verse 7 says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But then we see Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, and God called upon Noah to give a message to the world at that time that God would destroy the world by a flood. And all of the experts of that day says, This preacher has a credibility problem. 
This preacher is predicting that which will come in the future, which has never been before. There has never been trouble in this world. There has never been precipitation or water that has come down from the sky. Water has always stayed within the rivers and the streams and the lakes and the sea. It has never overflowed its borders. This man must be a lunatic. And Noah preaches this message for 120 years. And after 20 years, and after 40 years, and after 60 years, the world around him had to start saying, this man has a credibility problem. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, those Adventists, they've been preaching that Jesus has been coming soon for how long now? 171 years? How long are they going to keep deluding themselves with this message? As it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Listen, the message of the end of the world, as Noah gave it back then, as we give the message now, is that a scary concept to you? Or does it bring hope and courage to your heart? Because if it's a scary message to you, that would suggest that you are like the people of the days of Noah, who before the flood mocked the message of the end of the world, because in their heart of hearts, they really enjoyed where they were right then. They had a good life. They had riches and pleasure and all the things that the heart could desire. And the thought of all of that coming to, to an end was at the very least a major inconvenience. They weren't looking for the end of the world. They were looking to live on and to enjoy the pleasures of this life. And it degenerated to the point where the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. Here's a reality check for us today. If our thoughts in our heart are evil continually, as it was in the days of Noah, the thought of the coming of Jesus will not bring peace to your soul. Because, as I said before, we can put on a good front when we come to church, but we know in our heart of hearts if we've surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus, and if we've surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus, the thought of our Savior, of our Redeemer, of our best friend coming to take us off this sin-filled planet should bring hope and joy and rejoicing to our hearts. But if we've learned to assimilate to the pleasures of this world and the thoughts of our hearts are on the corruption around us and of the things around us and of the pleasures of this life, then the thought of the coming of Jesus will not bring bring peace or hope. So Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And as we've seen here, in the days of Noah, the thoughts of men were only evil continually. But Jesus doesn't stop with as it was in the days of Noah. He then moves on to as it was in the days of Lot. Let's go to Genesis chapter 19. And I think we know the story. Three heavenly messengers come to Abraham and they visit him. And in this visit, they tell him that Sarah will have a son. And 
Sarah laughs in her heart, and then the heavenly messengers tell Sarah, you laughed, and then they realize that God is in their presence. And then two of the messengers go on, and then God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, speaks with Abraham and tells Abraham, I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. Now that immediately provokes a response from Abraham because he has loved ones in the city that he cares about. And he bargains with God. And he's a type of Christ here. He's interceding on behalf of sinful humanity. And he's saying, God, you are a merciful God. You are a righteous God. If there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you save the city? And God says, yes, I will. And he gains greater faith. And he says, God, if there's 40 righteous people in the city, will you save the city? And God says, yes, I will. And he says 30. And then he says 20. And he comes to 10. And God is so merciful. God is so righteous that he agrees with Abraham that if he can find but ten righteous souls in the city of Sodom, he would save the whole city from destruction. That's the kind of God that we serve. Let's come to chapter 19, verse 1. So here are these two heavenly messengers. They make their way down from where Abraham was at down to the city of Sodom. And in verse 1 of Genesis 19, we read, And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now we read in Patriarchs and Prophets that Lot had developed the spirit of hospitality and had learned this from his uncle Abraham. And as he saw the wickedness around him in the city, and as Scripture says, it vexed his soul, one of the things that he took upon himself was to guard strangers as they passed through the city. He was there to guard them and to protect them from the utter wickedness that would surround them. And as he sees these messengers, he does not know that these are angels. And when you come to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And that's referring to what happened to Lot. Lot did not know that as he entertained these strangers, it would be for his salvation. So he sees them, he rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And verse 2 says, he said, Behold now, my lords, turn and I pray you into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, No, but we will abide in the street all night. Now here, the heavenly messengers are testing him. They're testing him to see, are you really this hospitable? And they're also testing him to show, to try to feign ignorance, that they don't know how bad the wickedness of Sodom is and that nobody in their right mind would want to stay on the streets of Sodom. Verse 3, and he pressed upon them greatly. So Lot was persistent. He persevered and he says, no, you must come with me. So they came. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake on leavened bread and they did eat. Now because Lot had not been able to convince them to come right away to his house, the rabble of the city had taken notice of these men who had come in with Lot. And Sodom had degenerated into such a perverse city 
that the rabble of the city saw two strangers as an opportunity for them to have a good time. And I'm not going to go into any gory detail, but the reality is, is that the word in the English language sodomy comes from this very story. <clears throat> and so when I look at the world around us today, and when I see the culture that we are living in today, where the prevailing culture of this time is trying to push the lifestyle of Sodom onto us as a people, as a nation today, and when Christians try to speak up against it, we are being labeled as giving hate speech, it tells me that as it was in the days of Sodom, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. We see the story that these men wanted, to, the rabble of the street, they wanted to have the heavenly angels, and it was then that the angels struck the rabble of the street blind, and at this point, Lot realized that these were heavenly messengers that were in his presence. And they had a message for Lot. Lot, what are you doing here? You better get your family and get out of here. Because God is going to destroy this city. And so we read the story. Lot goes to his daughters who had married husbands of the city. And he, he pleads with them, come, leave the city. These angels are here. They struck these men blind. They worked a miracle in my very eyes. I know these are heavenly messengers with a warning that it is time to get out. And you know what Lot's children did? They mocked him. Now you may be saying, how in the world could Lot's children not listen to the voice of their father when he warns them, I saw angels, they're in my house, and they made the men go blind out on the street. You've got to listen to their message. We've got to get out of here. But his daughters had no interest in hearing this message of warning. You know why? Because they had a lot of wealth. Because Sodom had been good to them. They had a good life. Their husbands were good to them. They had a good time. And here was Lot's problem. Lot was a righteous man. Scripture describes him as a just man. But he placed his family in an environment where it was impossible for them to follow God. And so when the great crisis of life came and he comes to them with a message from the Lord, it is time to leave the city. His children who had learned through the years to compromise over and over and over and over again with the things of this world and with the ways of this world and where the ways of this world and the pleasures of this world had become the priority of their life, even though they believed in God, so to speak, when God sent a message, they were so assimilated to this life and to this world, they had no desire to get out out. And we read the story, you keep reading through the story, then Lot delays. Lot has spent his whole life to gain riches and wealth and treasure 
And now God is telling him, you've got to leave right now and it's all going to be destroyed. And so everything that Lot has worked his entire life for is going to be destroyed. And Lot even hesitated to leave. And so the angels had to grab him and his wife and his two daughters that were still with him by the hand and take him out of the city. Now let me tell you, Lot was able to get out of the city, but just barely. And he had placed the priority of his life on the things of this world. Slowly but surely as time had gone on, his focus in this life was not to advance the kingdom of God, but without realizing it, he had built built up immense wealth and treasure on this earth. He had not followed the example of his uncle Abraham, who, as the faith chapter describes, was a pilgrim and stranger on the earth. Abraham dwelt in tabernacles or tents where he didn't put roots down on this earth, but Lot put roots down into this earth very, very deeply. And when you try to pull something out that has deep roots, it's very hard to tear those roots out. And I wonder today if as Seventh-day Adventists we have not made the same mistake as Lot. Because we're told in Testimonies, Volume 9, page 19, in a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Can we really say today that we are allowing nothing else to absorb our attention besides the work of the three angels' messages? If you look at the life of Lot, Lot was a righteous man. He was a just man, and he had the spirit of hospitality, and he looked out to protect strangers from the wickedness of the evil that surrounded him. Yet, because he had come into the city and had partaken of the spirit of the city, where he gained great wealth and treasure... He had allowed the spirit of the world to become the great importance in his life so that his children, rather than looking for heavenly treasure, looked for treasure here on this earth. And I have to ask myself the question, and I think we should all ask the question today, the way we are living our lives today, are we teaching our children to live for the heavenly treasure or for the earthly treasure? And if the time were to come that an angel were to say, get out, this world is going to be destroyed, would we have children like Lot's children who wouldn't want to leave this planet? Are we teaching our children the right priorities? And so we read the story as we go on in Luke chapter 9, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 19, that Lot was taken out by the hand of the angels, and they were told, don't turn back, don't look back, escape with your life. 
And, you know, I was thinking about this story. You know, if I'm being told by God to flee the city, and I know God has visited me, the first place I would want to go, if I'm Lot, is to Abraham's tent. Because I know God is with Abraham. And I'm going to go back to Abraham and say, you know what? I made a mistake in my life. I should have been like you. But Lot bargains with God and says, can I go to this small city that's close by? And that was a wicked city as well. So he's not going to where Abraham is. And because of his delay, we read in Patriarchs and Prophets that this caused Lot's wife to turn back. And if you read the story, it says she felt God dealt harshly with her. She felt God was unfair with her. And when she left Sodom, her heart was in the city of Sodom because she was living for the here and the now. Her children were in the city. And the way she had raised her children was to love this life, to do well in this life. Yes, we believe in God, but we want to do so well in this life that we lose our focus of what we're really here for. And so when she leaves Sodom and she knows that it's going to be destroyed in her heart, she's saying, God, you haven't been good to me. God, this isn't fair. God, my children are there. God, my wealth is there. God, the work of my lifetime is there. How could you take this away from me? And as she turns back, she turns into a pillar of salt. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. These are the words of Jesus. Now when we look at the, the city of Sodom, I'm going to say a little bit more and then we're going to come to our application for the end. It's interesting where this nation is headed. You know, right now, the Supreme Court has heard arguments about whether or not gay marriage will be constitutional. Now, let me, let me make it very clear. Scripture says, or I mean, it's, it's very clear throughout Scripture, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And the sin of homosexuality is sin, just like pride and selfishness are sin. But sin is still sin. And when we as a nation start to sanction sin, then we put ourselves in a position where we will be facing the dishonor or the displeasure of God. And what I, where I see our nation heading, I see our nation heading so far to the left with secularism that as we understand prophetic teachings in scripture and with our understanding of the end time we're going to veer so far to the left that the christian nation that is dormant right now is going to rise up in a reaction to this secularism that is coming in and we're going to swing too far the other way and we'll see this nation go against the law of god now interestingly when this issue was brought before the supreme court one of the um Supreme Court Justices Samuel Alito asked a question. And he's asking with reference to a case that came before the Supreme Court with the case of Bob Jones University, which Bob Jones University had some interesting religious beliefs that 
they believed that interracial marriage and dating was unbiblical and they wouldn't allow it on their campus and they were sued and it came to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that their belief was unconstitutional and if they held to that belief they would no longer be a tax-exempt organization. So Judge or Justice Alito asks a question. In the Bob Jones case the court held that a college was not entitled to tax-exempt status if it opposed interracial marriage or interracial dating. So then he asked this key question. So would the same apply to a university or a college if it opposed same-sex marriage? With chilling honesty, the attorney, his name, last name is Virilli, admitted it's certainly going to be an issue. I don't deny that. I don't deny that, Justice Alito. It is, it is going to be an issue. In other words, what they are saying is if we win this case, if we get what we want, if gay marriage is ruled to be constitutional, we will go after institutions, universities, churches who claim tax-exempt status and who teach and preach from the pulpit and who teach in the classroom that homosexuality is a sin. That's where we're headed as a nation. And if you don't believe me, if you read other things that people are saying, people that are pushing for this, they are pushing for the silence of dissent. Where are we headed as a nation? Where are we headed as a church? And it's interesting, and I'm not going to go into any particular detail about what's happening, but when you look at what's happening in the world with the gay marriage issue, and when you look at some of the issues that are being hotly debated in the church right now, I will say this, that it takes the same hermeneutic to get you to gay marriage as it does to some of the other things that are being pushed in this church today. And we are living in very momentous times and God's spirit is being withdrawn from man. And so as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, as God's spirit is withdrawn from man, the world and even in the church is starting to use the culture that surrounds us rather than a plain, thus saith the Lord, to guide the way we live our lives. And we have some a Christian pastor from another denomination saying that the church is on the verge of accepting homosexuality and that, by the way, the Bible is a dead letter from 2,000 years ago anyway. Is this really the living word of God that we follow and live by every day or are we going to relegate it to a dead letter from 2,000 years ago and follow culture rather than a thus saith the Lord? Because that's where we are today. Now I want to take you to... Um, and if you, you know, if you don't believe me, go to Romans one twenty seven, Leviticus eighteen twenty two. Leviticus eighteen twenty two says, "Mankind shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination." And Paul uses very similar language in the book of Romans. Interestingly, when you go to Ezekiel sixteen, though, Scripture identifies the sin of Sodom. Ezekiel sixteen verses forty nine and fifty. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. Here we see the sin of Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, and not helping those who are poor and needy. And when you look at the world today, and you could even look at God's church today, I would have to say that there's plenty of pride, gluttony, and leisure to go around. 
As Americans, we are really good at being, having pride of opinion. Don't cross my opinion. Don't cross what I think. I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe no matter what you say. And as Americans, we become very good at eating. As it was in the days of Sodom, so it is in the days of America. We eat and eat and eat and eat, and we're good at it. An abundance of idleness. We sit around in leisure, entertaining ourselves with our favorite sports teams and movies and this and that and whatever, and there's a world around us who needs help, and we're not doing it. This was the sin of Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, and not helping those who were poor and needy. And so Jesus brings it full circle. Let's go back to Luke chapter 17. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. Now, Jesus uses specific things to describe what it was like in the days of Noah and what it will be like, or what it was like in the days of Lot and what it will be like just before he comes back. And I've just given you a Bible study on how wicked and evil it was in the days of Lot and the, the days of Noah. And so you would almost expect Jesus to say, as it was in the days of Noah, the thoughts of the hearts of men were only evil continually. As it was in the days of Lot, they were committing abominable acts and doing all of these wicked things so that my angels had to smite them with blindness. But that's not what Jesus says. Notice what Jesus says. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, here Noah has been giving a message for 120 years that the end of the world is coming. And you know what the response of the world was to the message? They lived lives business as usual. They ate food, they drank, they got married, they were given a marriage, they did all of the usual things, which by the way, what Jesus is saying here is not condemned in scripture. Eating, drinking, we're not talking about getting drunk here, we're just talking about reg the regular partaking of food and drinking water or beverage, whatever. There's nothing wrong in those acts in and of themselves if they're done to the glory of God. But he's saying they did eat, they drank, they married wives, there's nothing wrong with getting married. The, rep the, the husband and the wife is a symbol of Christ and the church. They married wives. They were given a marriage. In other words, women were given by their fathers in marriage to their husband. And this happened until the day Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. So in other words, people are saying, hey, we're eating like we always have. We got up today and had breakfast. We, got, we had lunch. We had supper or dinner. We, had our, we drank our water today. I just went to a wedding last weekend. My daughter's getting married next month. It's the same as it's always been. This Noah guy must be off his rocker to be saying that the world's about to end. And notice verse 28. Likewise also. So in other words, it's going to be the same when I talk about Lot. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, 
They bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Notice what Jesus is saying here. He's not describing the wicked, evil deeds of Sodom so much as he's describing the usual things of eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting gardens and building buildings, doing the usual things that people always do. And Jesus says, just before I come back on this earth, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. And here's the problem. You know what the problem is? Many of God's professed people are going to be like Lot's wife. They're going to be eating and drinking, getting married, giving in marriage, planting, building, buying, selling, so that the focus of this life is not on the proclamation of the three angels' messages to prepare a lost and dying world for the coming of Jesus. No, what Jesus is saying is that my people who should be doing my work are going to become assimilated to the world that's around them so that our focus has become an assimilation to this life so that we're good at buying and selling. We're good at planting and building. We're good at doing all of the things that the world around us is good at. And while there isn't necessarily anything wrong with that, what happened to Lot and his wife is that Lot's heart became so bound up in the usual things of this life that when it came time to leave, she didn't want to go. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. I want to ask you today, if Jesus were to come today, would you be able to have the experience of verse 31 of Luke 17 where you don't go back to your house to get anything, but you just leave? Or have you become so consumed by the things of this life, you've gotten stuff and more stuff and more stuff so that you have to get a storage place to keep all of your stuff because your house can't keep it anymore. You have stuff and stuff and stuff and you have bank accounts and retirement accounts and assets and dividends and things of this nature that you're not looking for Jesus to come. You're looking for retirement. You're looking for the good life here in this life. That's what Jesus warns of when he says, remember Lot's wife. What are we living for as Seventh-day Adventists? What are we teaching our children to live for? Are we teaching them to grow up and to live a good life? You know, I talked with a retired Adventist president about a year ago. I was speaking at a meeting and he was there. And one of his burdens that he sees in the church today is he's like, you know, I look at these young families and they're raising their kids and they're not so focused on sacrificial giving so that their kids will get an Adventist education. Parents' focus now is not making sure that their kids get an Adventist education. Parents' focus now is that their kids get into Duke Law School. That's what he told me. Is that what it's about now? And look, hey, I have a medical degree. I went to Loma Linda, and God, by God's grace, that's a good thing that you can use to help people. I'm not saying it's wrong to be a lawyer. I'm not saying it's wrong to be a doctor. But what's your purpose? Is it so that you can build up stuff and wealth and treasures and riches 
Because Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be also in the coming of the Son of Man. And he says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.